0: Welcome to the City Life Lansing Podcast. You are loved, you belong, and you have a unique purpose from God. You can connect with us at CityLifelancing.com. You belong here. Here's today's message. Good morning. Good morning. Everybody awake? There you go. Participation. I love it. Thank you very much for talking back to me. All right. So good morning, everybody. My name is Ryan. Uh, You may recognize me from some of the Mount Hope, uh, or not Mount Hope, but uh, yeah, old times, some of the uh, City Life videos that we're doing. I get to record a lot of those. I'm still pushing really hard for a compilation of uh, outtakes on those because it's a lot of fun to make, so it's really good stuff. So today we're going through Luke uh, chapter 8. If you've been joining us uh, for the past week or so, we're going through a chapter of Luke a day. So last Sunday was Luke chapter 1, and then between then and now, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, and then 8. The cool thing about Luke, and I've shared this with a few people this morning, is that Luke's a doctor, right? So he's very uh, short and to the point. He's always uh, trying to give you the facts, and then that's pretty much it. So Luke is a, a shorter book of the Bible, and it's his telling of the gospel story of Jesus Christ. The cool thing about that is it's very short, very compact, gives you the facts, and that's it. The, the not-so-cool part about that is he fits a lot of things into these chapters. So there's like six or seven different things that happen in Luke chapter 8. So we're going to go, God willing, go through what we can with Luke chapter 8, and then we are going to leave the rest to the Lord. So you may have to do some homework after, the, after service today. Am I sounding okay with this? All right, there we go. If you're good, I'm good. So there we go. All right, so Luke chapter 8. We begin with verse one, it says, afterward he was traveling to, from one town and village this is Jesus, one town and village to another. Preaching and telling the good news of the kingdom of God. The 12 were with him. So when he says 12, those are his 12 disciples, right? That's his crew. That's his, that's his uh, group of guys that he has with him all the time. The ones he gives object lessons to, you'll see later on, he tells parables to these 12 people. And they're the ones that are with him all the time. This is to be later on the beginning of the church. So he's raising these guys up to be the people that carry the message when he goes back to the Father. So the 12 are with him. Verse 2, it says, And also... Also, some women who had been healed of evil spirits and sicknesses, Mary called Magdalene. Seven demons had come out of her. So, if you woke up today not feeling good, not looking good, you think you got problems, lady had seven demons that were cast out of her. So that's a lot of trouble right there. Uh, Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod Stewart, Susanna, and many others who were supporting them from their possessions. The beautiful thing about Jesus and the Bible in general, if you've ever heard someone say, well, how do we know the Bible wasn't just made up by somebody, right? This is a long time ago. Even if just some random person or random people wrote these books of the Bible and said, oh, I heard this from God. Even if they did, they didn't have a culture where women were very honored in this culture. So they would not be talking about these women giving to Jesus' ministry. It would be a bunch of dudes they're talking about, a bunch of guys' names. So the fact that women are in the forefront, women are allowed to participate in the mission, women were always there women were always on the forefront always on his team so that's very cool that's another another little tidbit to say like this couldn't have been something that some guy just made up somewhere because I guarantee you if it was uh, the mindset that they had back in these days women wouldn't be anywhere right they wouldn't mention that at all so very cool stuff uh, Joanna the wife of Chusa, Herod Stewart, Susanna and many others who were supporting them from their possessions uh, verse 4 and it says as a large crowd was gathering and people were coming to Jesus from every town he said in a parable so what's a parable right So for folks that are not very like Bible scholars, which is pretty much me, what is a parable? You'll see that quite a bit in the Gospels and other parts of the Bible. So I did, I went to the Holy Concordance called Google, and I checked out what a parable was. Because you kind of have an idea, but I was like, you know what, how can I best explain this? So it says, according to Merriam-Webster, the definition of a parable is a usually short, fictitious story that illustrates a moral attitude or a religious principle. parable also means to cast alongside something else. These two definitions explain that a parable is a fictitious story cast alongside a spiritual truth. Jesus often used parables as teaching aids, which made comparisons of spiritual matters to earthly stories that his followers could easily understand. Here's one thing I love about God. He's very picturesque. He's very, I want to show you a picture. He's very, I want to show you how things work. If you think about the the story of Abraham, he says, hey, Abraham, go outside, look at the stars. That's how many children you're going to have. So I gave him a picture. When he met with Moses, he says, what's in your hand, Moses? And he said, it's a staff. He said, throw it down. And he saw the staff turn into a snake. So God is very much working in pictures. He wants to give you a visualization of where you're going to go. There's even a part of the story where Jesus says later on, that my father is always working and he shows me all that he's doing. So, God always teaches and moves in pictures. That's why parables are so important. So, it says, um, as a large crowd was gathering, so we get to the first parable here, and people were coming to Jesus from every town. He said in a parable this is the parable of the sower and the seeds. A sower went out to sow his seed. So a farmer, you're going out there, you want to plant some crops, you want to get a harvest, right? It's the whole reason. If you're going to throw seed out there and never get a result, guess what you're not going to do? Throw seed out there anymore. So it says, a sower went out to sow his seed. As he sowed, some fell along the path. It was trampled on, and the birds of the sky devoured it. Other seed fell on the rock. When it grew up, it withered away since it lacked moisture. This is a really cool story because today at the Dream Team rally, shout out to the Dream Team rally, join the Dream Team, Uh, Pastor Jerome shared a story about how when he first moved into the house he lives in, now they didn't have grass. So they had to move all this dirt and put the seed and the straw down. And So here we are talking about seeds and soil. So God is amazing. He knows what he's doing. Other seed fell on the rock when it grew up. Um, Oh, verse 7. Other seed fell among thorns. The thorns grew up with it and choked it. Still other seed fell on good ground. So that's where you want to be. Shortcut. Spoiler alert. You want to be the good ground, right? Other seed uh, fell on good ground. When it grew up, it produced fruit a hundred times what was sown. As he said this, he called out, Let anyone who has ears to hear listen. Right? So he's saying this amongst his group of people plus the 12. The 12 are always with him, but the crowds came to him because they're like, hey, there's Jesus. We've heard a lot, of stuff, a lot of stories about this guy. Let's go see if he's legit. So they're there, and he says, I'm going to speak to you in a parable. Then he tells them about the seed and sowers. I'm sure a lot of people were super confused, but then he tells this story, and I'm sure he saw puzzled looks, and he says, hey, if anyone who has ears to hear, listen, listen. So that's his way of saying, this is a little deeper than you would think. I'm not just talking to you about random stuff. If you have ears to hear, listen. So that's like if you're in a a sermon uh, situation or if you're in a a conference and someone says, hey, write this down. Or get this. Watch this one. Here's a good point. Like that's what they're saying is they want you to understand there's a little bit more to this and you need to unpack it. So verse 9. So this is kind of where it gets a little bit deeper into that. Then his disciples, remember the 12, they had special access. They were like... The early adopters, they were on the, the front-line team. The disciples asked him, what does this parable mean? So they knew it wasn't really what he was saying. He was getting at something else. So this is the cool part. He said, the secrets of the kingdom of God have been given for you to know, but to the rest, it is in parables. So let's say that again. The secrets of the kingdom. This is the 12 again, remember. And if you imagine now, as I said earlier, the 12 are the people that are going to take the church into the rest of the world, right? He's the one that he gives... The the 12 are the ones he gives the great commission to. And he says, hey, go out and make disciples, do all these things. And, you know, even Peter, upon this rock I'll build my church. Everything was going to come through them. So he's trying to train them and equip them. So this is what he says to them. Secrets of the kingdom of God have been given for you to know. So imagine now, that same invitation to the 12 is for everyone here that believes in Jesus Christ. The secrets of the kingdom of God have been given for you to know. I was talking with my good friend Trevor earlier about the Old Testament, because we're going to go there in just a second, and how cool that everything in the Old Testament points forward to Jesus all the time. And there's a saying that says the Old Testament is Jesus concealed, and the New Testament or New Covenant is Jesus revealed. right? So they didn't have the luxury of understanding what they were saying at the time, but now after the fact, after the cross, we get to know exactly what was pointing to him. This is very good. So the secrets of the kingdom of God have been given for you to know but to the rest it is in parables so that looking they may not see and hearing they may not understand so we're going to go here if you read in your bibles or if you look if you use like a digital app which i recommend it's a lot easier to switch for some of that stuff there's a little bit of a footnote there that tells you why that's bolded because it's referring back to the old testament so let's go to isaiah 6 chapter 6 So this is where this is coming from. So when Jesus says this, it's in bold because it's referring to an older passage, right, which is in Isaiah. Isaiah. It's really Isaiah verse uh, 6-9, but we're going to go through the whole thing because it's all good. If it were up to me, we'd be reading context. We'd be reading the Greek and the Hebrew. We'd be doing all kinds of stuff in here. But we don't have a lot of time, so we're just going to go through this stuff here. So in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a high and lofty throne, and the hem of his robe filled the temple. Seraphim were standing above him. They each had six wings. So mental picture here. I don't know exactly what this looks like, but it would freak me out if I saw this in person. Seraphim were standing above him. They each had six wings. With two, they covered their faces. With two, they covered their feet. And with two, they flew. So imagine this. Every time in the Old Old Testament it says that someone saw an angel, it said they were petrified, terrified, that they like froze up. Imagine if you saw this at Meyer parking lot or something like that. You'd freak out too. That'd be pretty crazy. And one called to another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of armies. His glory fills the whole earth. The foundations of the doorways shook at the sound of their voices, and the temple was filled with smoke. There was thunderstorm weather the other night, like at 2 in the morning. Woke up out of a dead sleep. Was thundering and crashing like crazy, and I'm like, man, I'm so thankful I'm in a house that's that's uh, I'm not getting rained on. You don't have to be outside, and and the thunder's so loud even inside. Can you imagine if you were in this temple filled with smoke and these 6 wing things were yelling and screaming and talking about the Lord of Armies and everything was shaking? That is quite uh, an amazing thing, and I probably would not get over that for a good while. Need some therapy after that for sure. Verse five. Then I said, Woe is me, for I am ruined. This is exactly what we would say. Because I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. And because my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of armies. So just imagine being in the presence of the Lord, the the purity of holiness, the most clean thing in all of the universe. And you're like, man, you get to see where the cracks are in your armor a little bit. Verse 6. Then one of the seraphim flew to me. And in his hand was a glowing coal that he had taken from the altar with tongs. He touched my mouth with it and said, now that this has touched your lips, your iniquity is removed and your sin is atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord asking, who will I send? Who will go for us? And I said, here I am, send me. And he replied, go. Say to these people, this is the part, I know it's a lot with a lot of backstory, but I think it's all really good stuff. This is the part that's a, a callback to what we we're reading in uh, Luke chapter eight. And he replied, Go, say to these people, keep listening, but do not understand. Keep looking, but do not perceive. Make the minds of these people dull, deafen their ears and blind their eyes. Otherwise, this is the point I want to emphasize here. He says this, otherwise they might see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, understand with their minds, turn back and be healed. And so we're going to sit there for just a second. This is kind of a recipe for salvation. This is a recipe for how we go out into, into the community. It's a beautiful time for this message to come up because Love the City Week's coming up. So if you've ever served in Love the City Week, if you've ever thought about serving in Love the City Week, this is a good reminder that you should do that. The Lord puts that on your heart, and you may think, like, wow, maybe I want to get involved this year. There's not an accident. There's not a reason why you're just hearing this for no reason at all. God is pulling on your heart and saying, hey, go do these things. It's super important that we do what I'm doing right now that people in the the tech team get the sound together, people put slides together, because the first thing, the first step in the right direction is that people will see with their eyes, right? So no matter what position you're in, whether you think, well, I'm not a pastor, I'm not a preacher, nobody wants to put me on stage, I'm not in videos, doesn't matter. Everything that you're doing is going to be that first step that it says people will see with their eyes. So no matter where you're at, there's always eyes on you. So let's, let's make a concerted effort to be doing the right things. When you're out there and you're doing Love the City, maybe you're just setting up tents, maybe you're handing out ice cream, whatever it is, people will see with their eyes. Uh, there was a story at uh, the, the, the rally this morning about how someone had gotten some groceries and it was like the last bag and it was one of those miracle moments that created a relationship. The first thing they'll do is they'll see with their eyes. What's the next step? They will hear... With their ears, There may be people here today, or there may be people over the course of the last year that have come and said, hey, I saw this going on. Even for myself, I saw a Love the City recap video on YouTube, and I was like, dang, i got to get involved in that. That's what I want to be a part of. I want to be making things happen in the city, and that's where I need to be. So then several years later, here I am uh, joining the team. So they'll hear with their ears, understand with their minds, turn back, and be healed. So if you're a person that's like, man, I, I keep going to church, and I just don't feel like it's real. I keep hearing these verses, and I'm like, "This doesn't make sense to me. That's because you're hearing with your ears, keep hearing with your ears. And the next step is you understand with your mind, and then turn back and be healed. So verse 10 is the end there. The, uh, yeah, we'll go back to that. So he said, "The secrets of the kingdom of God have been given to you to know, but to the rest is in parables so that looking they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. So remember, they see first, they hear second, they understand third, and then they turn back and be healed. So if there's somebody you've been praying for, if there's somebody that you've brought to church 20 times and you're like, they just don't get it, keep bringing them. Because they've already seen, they're already hearing, understanding is coming, and then they will turn back and be healed. The beautiful thing about God is he does all the hard work. I used to think as a young Christian, man, I got to go get people saved. I got to go, I got to do this, I got to leave Bible tracts in the bathroom at Kroger. I don't know if y'all should do that, by the way. I've seen a thousand of them. I got saved several times in Kroger over and over again because of these Bible tracts that are there. I don't know sure why Kroger's the place, but I don't know. So you've you got to do all these things. The, the important thing to remember is that Jesus, Jesus says that my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So long story short, you don't have to do everything. You just have to do your part. So I think instead of trying to, to exhaust our, 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 uh, our lives and our youth and, and trying to do a, a thousand things and be involved in a hundred different ministries and get involved here and there— Ask the Lord, what is my part? And then do that. Run the race with your whole heart. Because if you're in the right lane, you can run twice as fast as you would if you're spread out into different areas. So verse 11. The parable of the sower explained. We are back to Luke chapter 8. We've taken quite a journey. It's like the children of Israel. It took 12 years to get somewhere that should have taken 12 days. This is the meaning of the parable. The seed is the word of God. So it says, as the person sowing the seed, it's like what I'm doing right now. I'm giving you the word of God. I'm throwing the words out there. And remember, again, the power here is in the seed. If I'm a farmer and I throw that seed into the ground, I don't really have to do a whole lot other than water that and wait for that thing to happen. It it does its own thing. You ever had like... uh, like maybe a sink strainer that you have seeds in and things fall underneath that or you throw something in the trash and all of a sudden there's seeds that are sprouting up by themselves. You didn't have to do anything. It just does its own thing. So the power is in the seed. It's the same way with God's word. The power is in the word. You don't really have to make it do a whole lot. God's word will not return void and it's because he makes those things happen. So take the stress off of you, put that on Jesus and say, Lord, let's go. This is what we got to do. This is the meaning of the parable. The seed is the word of God. The seed along the path are those who have heard, and then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that, may, so that they may not believe and be saved. Why is that important? So in other translations of this uh, specific verse, it says that the people who listen and don't understand it. So that's why it's important to break down the Bible as easy as possible because I've heard a pastor say before, God says, feed my sheep, not feed my giraffes. So it's not, we're not trying to get high-minded people up there. We want to make it as easy to understand as possible. Because, you know, the Bible says knowledge puffs up, but love, love is what you want. So the seed along the path are those who have heard, and then the devil comes and takes away the word because they don't, they don't get it, they don't understand. So he can easily take that out of their heart, and they're like, ah, whatever, guess it didn't work for me. It's word from their heart, so they may not believe and be saved. Verse 13, and the seed on the rock are those who, when they hear, receive the word with joy, having no root, singular root, which is Jesus, Right? So it's all about him. Again, you don't have to make the word work in your life. You just have to hear that. And even if you don't believe it, guess what? Keep hearing that word. The Bible says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God or the word about Christ. So the more you hear this, the more you're going to start to believe that. Remember, you see first, hear second, believe third, and then turn and be healed. As for the seed that fell along, we'll go back to 13 here, so make sure we get that. And the seed and the rock are those who, when they hear, receive the word with joy, having no root, these believe for a while and fall away in a time of testing. I can speak a whole sermon about testing because, trust me, I feel like I've gone through a lot of that in my life. There's a verse that talks about how God will test your faith like someone tests gold, right? So imagine this. You're a person who's investing in stock, and you're like, you know what? I want to diversify my portfolio. I'm going to buy a bunch of gold. So you get all these gold bars in your house. The reason they test gold is they heat it up so that it melts. Gold's very soft, has a lower melting point, so it's easier to make that malleable, pliable, right? So they heat up the gold, and once they heat it up, all the stuff inside that's no good, all the things that are in there that make the gold impure float to the top, so you can get like a pool skimmer, take that stuff off and throw it away, and then you let the gold cool down, and guess what? More pure gold. So if I'm a wise person who wants to spend my money on gold, and I could test the gold... If, if I'm going to test that gold, would I ever test the gold if I knew I could lose it? If I have, if I have 10 gold bars and I'm like, you know what, I'm going to test the gold to make it more pure, but there's a 90% chance I'm going to lose six of those gold bars, would you still test that gold? No, because you want all 10 gold bars, right? 10 gold bars that are, have some impurities are better than six gold bars that are pure. It's the same way when God tests your faith. God would never test your faith because he thinks you're going to fail or even if he knows you're going to fail. The Bible says in those verses that talk about testing your faith, it says that so when your faith shows true and pure, that you'll be better off in the end. So if you ever go through a test, it's not because God wants you to fail. If you ever go through a test, it is because God knows you're going to go through that. God knows you're going to win. There's never a chance where God's going to set you up for failure, because what's the point of that? You would never test your gold because you're going to lose four of, those six, uh, four of those ten gold bars. So God's never going to test ten of his beloved children, his beloved bride of his son, because he could lose four of those ten. So anytime you go through a test, just know you've already won that. I mean, at, at base level, what's the worst that's going to happen? You're going to die, and then what? You win. You never lose. You're never losing Christ. I know that's kind of morbid, but it's the truth. I remember praying when I was a younger Christian, and I was like, Lord, what if this happens? And he's like, so what? He's like, yeah, easy for you to say. You're way up there. Lord, what if this happens? So what? And I was like, yeah, easy for you to say. And then eventually I got to the point where it's like, what's going to happen? He's like, Ryan, think about this. I'm a rational person. I like Luke. I like step-by-step things. I need to know whenever I come to record videos, Tina can tell you. I'm always like, hey, what door do I go in? Some people don't care about that stuff, but I'm very nervous about the details because that's how I live my life. That's how my brain is designed. So I'm like, hey, he said, let's think about this rationally, right? What if that happens? Okay. If that happens, this happens. What if that happens? Well, if that happens, this happens. What if that happens? Well, if that happens, I can't eat. What if you can't eat? If I can't eat, then I die. And then what? I was like, Lord, I'll be with you. And he's like, it's not so bad after all. Luckily, God's good, and none of that stuff ever happened, but I thought it was going to happen, so I was always hesitant to do those things. Uh, Verse 14. As for the seed that fell among thorns, these are the ones who, when they have heard, go on their way and are choked with worries, riches, and pleasures of life and produce no mature fruit. So here's the thing. I think this, this whole story is about like an evolution of your walk with Jesus. In the beginning, you don't really get what's going on, so it's easy for the, the, the enemy to take that word out of your heart. And then it doesn't really sprout or grow, fruit, grow any mature fruit there. And then it's got the ones who uh, have no root because they're not really fully relying on Jesus. I think a lot of times we as Christians think we have to make it happen for ourselves, right? Because God helps those who help themselves. If that was true, what do we need Him for, right? If if the gospel, if if salvation could ever be about you just doing good enough, what did Jesus die for? What a waste of that blood, right? It's always about Him. Uh, As for the seed that fell among thorns, these are the ones who, when they have heard, go on their way and are choked with worries, riches, and pleasures of life and produce no mature fruit. So they're producing fruit, but no mature fruit. So you're you're, you're progressing. You're getting further along. 15. But the seed in the good ground, that's where we all want to get to. These are the ones who, having heard the word with an honest and good heart, hold on to it and by enduring produce fruit. So what do you have to do when you hear this word? What do you have to do when you're believing for whatever your miracle is, whatever your breakthrough is? What is the one thing you have to do? If you had to put things on a list and say, all right, Lord, I want to get this thing. How do I get from here to there? What do I do? He says, indoor, which means just live. Go, grow, and just listen to the word and hear that. And believe it. Keep hearing. Keep believing but the seed in the good ground. These are the ones who have heard the word with an honest and good heart. Hold on to it, and by enduring, produce fruit. Hold on to the word, right? Again, the power is in the seed. The power is in the word. Verse 16. No one, after lighting a lamp, covers it with a basket or puts it under a bed and puts it on a lampstand, but puts it on a lampstand so that those who come in may see its light. For nothing is concealed that won't be revealed, and nothing hidden that won't be made known and brought to light. Verse 18. Therefore, take care how you listen. For whoever has, more will be given to him. And whoever does not have, even what he thinks he has, will be taken away from him. Sounds like a very scary verse, right? But in the context of it, remember it's about hearing and understanding that word. With the seed on the path, it says that those who don't understand, the devil takes it away. So it says here, for whoever has, more will be given to him. Whoever does not have the understanding, even what he thinks he has, will be taken away. So keep going, keep storing up that word in your heart, because the more you have, more will be given to you, right? So as hearing those words, is contemplating these things, getting the juice out of the, out of the word. You begin to get that understanding because remember you see first, hear second, understand third, and then you turn and be healed. Verse 19. Then his mother and brothers came to him but they could not meet with him because of the crowd. He was told, Your mother and your brothers are standing outside waiting to see you. But he replied to them, My mother and my brothers are those who hear and do the word of God. So he's already separating himself from like his normal earthly life. Because in the beginning, they're like, Oh, isn't this uh, son of Joseph? Mary's your mom, right? You're just a normal guy, all this stuff. So he's beginning to separate, like I am he's he's on that track, right? He's becoming the, the actual son of God, the Messiah. But he replied to them, My mother and my brothers are those who hear and do the word of God, verse 22. Again, Luke switches to a whole other thing here. Very cool story, but each of these stories could be like its own sermon. That's really cool stuff. One day he and his disciples got into a boat, and he told them, let's cross over to the other side of the lake. So they set out. Remember, he already said, hey, let's go over there. And they're like, all right, let's go. Got into the boat. So they set out, and as they were sailing, he fell asleep. So Jesus is like, all right, it's going to be a while. Man, these waves got me me tired. I'm going to take a nap real quick. You know, let me sleep right here. So he, he fell asleep. And then a fierce windstorm, of course, good timing, fierce windstorm came down the lake. They were being swamped and were in danger. Verse 24, they came and woke him up saying, master, master, we're going to die. Right? So they're freaking out. Again, like I said, with the thunderstorm the other night, if I was outside or maybe even in a boat, I'd be freaking out too. Then he got up and rebuked the wind and the raging waves. So they ceased and there was a calm. He said to them, where is your faith? Where's your trust? So he already said, we're going to the other side of that lake. And then the storm comes, and are like, hey, we're going to die. So it's like, what are you believing? What are you trusting? Where's your root? Is it in what I said or is it in what you see? And he said, where's your faith? They were fearful and amazed, asking one another, who then is this? So first of all, this is the 12. These aren't dudes that just met this guy. They've been with him since the beginning of his ministry, going everywhere, feeding the 5,000 with the, the several loaves and the fish. They saw the stuff already, and even still, they're asking each other, who then is this? He commands even the winds and the waves, and they obey him. So they're blown away. He's blowing minds all over the place. So again, Luke is switching to a different story. So they get into the boat. They go to the other side of the lake. Storm happens. he, He makes it all okay. And then verse 26. Then they sail to the region of the Gerasenes, which is opposite Galilee. When he got out on land, a demon-possessed man from the town met him. For a long time he had worn no clothes and did not stay in a house but in the tombs. Wild man. Guys out there ripping his clothes off, got chains all over him. He's not doing well. When he saw Jesus, he cried out, fell down before him, and said in a loud voice, "'What do you have to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? "'I beg you, don't torment me.' "'For he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man.' Many times it had seized him, and though he was guarded, bound by chains and shackles, he would snap the restraints and be driven by the demon into deserted places. I'm sure the townspeople had seen this guy get arrested. If they had cops back then, he'd be the number one showrunner, always doing something crazy. And he was getting arrested, and guess what? He just break out of the chains. And so I'm sure they were glad that he was hanging out in the deserted places. They're like, please stay on the outside of town. We don't want no, no crazy today. Please stay there. So verse 30, what is your name? Jesus asked him. So he wasn't talking to the man. He was talking to the demons that were inside this man. Legion, he said, because many demons had entered him, and they begged him not to banish them to the abyss. Verse 32, a large herd of pigs was there, feeding on the hillside. The demons begged him to permit them to enter the pigs, And it gave them permission. The demons came out of the man and entered the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and drowned. This is wild. What if you were there and you were the one herding the pigs and you saw this interaction, and all of a sudden the pigs were just like going buck wild, ran right off the cliff? You'd be like, what is going on today? I knew I should have quit yesterday. I knew I should have called in today. Man, they ran into the steep bank, into the lake, and drowned. When uh, the men who tended them saw what had happened, they ran off and reported in the town, in the countryside. They're telling everybody, "You'll never believe what just happened! This herd of pigs went crazy, jumped off the cliff, and they all drowned." Verse 35: The people went out to see what had happened. They came to Jesus and found the man that the demons had departed from, sitting at Jesus' feet, dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. So. The way you think is super important. This is not really in my notes, but it's very true. The Bible talks about let the word change you by, by changing the way you think. Because if you, if you can change the way you think, you'll change the way you live, right? So your thoughts is what drives your actions. If you think that uh, Subway is healthy, you're going to go there, right? You're going to go eat some of those, uh, those footlongs, $5 footlongs or whatever they got these days. I don't eat a lot of Subway because me and bread don't mix well. We do mix well, but that's not, that's not the point. A little too well. It hangs around a little longer than I'd like. Carbs and me have a love-hate relationship. Uh, so when the men who tended them saw what had happened, they ran off and reported in the town and the countryside. That's right. He was in his right mind. So the way you think is very important. So always remember that. That's what the Bible's trying to do. It says that you see first, you hear second, and then you you understand third, and then what? Then you're turned and healed. So your breakthrough is like literally that close. Like, it's so around the corner that all you have to do is keep hearing, keep believing. Stick to the one who promised you in the first place. Who gave you the promise? I remember going through a hard time with depression and anxiety. I can tell you lots of stories about that because it's not very good, but I have a lot of experience in the area, unfortunately. And I remember reading the Bible and listening to worship music because I was trying to stick close to my root, the one that's keeping me alive. Uh, even before in my life when I had issues with anxiety and depression, I remember seeing myself and th- telling someone that I trusted, I feel like there's a hurricane in my brain because everything's all out of whack, everything's going fine all over the place, I feel like I have no substance, no structure, nothing to hold to. And she said, hold on to the cross. So I literally had this mental image of me holding on to a cross in a hurricane, and the cross was, was the constant. The cross was my root. And I remember holding on to that, and that's what kept me through those times. But, um, so yeah, um... How you think is is super important. So stick to your root and always uh, let let the Lord kind of guide your thoughts. Because if he gets your thoughts, then he'll get your actions. And that's what he wants, ultimately. He's more concerned about your thoughts than your actions. Because he knows your heart is what drives you. And then people went out to see what happened. They came to Jesus and found the man the demons had departed from, sitting at Jesus' feet, dressing in his right mind. And they were afraid. Rightfully so. Verse 36. Meanwhile... The eyewitnesses reported to them how the demon-possessed man was delivered. Then all the people of the Gerasene region asked him to leave. So they're probably like, hey, man, you know, this guy's crazy enough and he's normal now. So can you just, you know, go somewhere else, please? Because we've seen enough today. When all the people of the Gerasene region asked him to leave them because they were gripped by great fear. So getting into the boat, he returned. Jesus is like, all right, you want me to go? I will go. Verse 38. The man from whom the demons had departed begged him earnestly to be with him. But he sent him away and said, go back to your home and tell all that God has done for you. Jesus was always forward thinking. He's like, what's the next step? The next step was going to be the church, the bride of Christ. He says, hey, go tell everybody what the Lord has done for you, what God has done for you. And off he went proclaiming throughout the town how much Jesus had done for him. All right, Luke is on to something else. So this is the continuation of the story in verse 40. When Jesus returned, the crowd welcomed him for they were all expecting him. Just then, a man named Jairus came. He was a leader of the synagogue. So remember, this guy's Jewish. He's a leader of the synagogue, so he's a high-ranking official in the quote-unquote church at that time. Those guys didn't really mix well with Jesus. They're like, he's somebody else. He's not one of us. He's not, you know, a Pharisee or whatever. He doesn't follow our religious laws, so he's probably not a guy that we want to hang out with. But when Jairus had trouble, what did he go to? He went to Jesus. Jairus came. Just then a man named Jairus came. He was the leader of the synagogue. He fell down at Jesus' feet and pleaded with him to come to his house. Not only did he see Jesus, he saw first, he heard about him, third, he believed, and now he says, hey, come to my house, and this is the turning heel part. part. Uh, he fell down at Jesus' feet and pleaded with him to come to his house because he had an only daughter, about 12 years old, and she was dying. Verse 45. Um, I think we skipped some. So, yeah, let me just... Uh Pull this up here, because I think this is really good stuff. Uh, Large herd of pigs. We've already been there. Don't want to go back. No bacon today. Uh, yes, while Jesus returned, the crowd welcomed him, for they were all expecting him. Just then a man named Jairus came. He was leader of the synagogue. He fell down at Jesus' feet and pleaded with him to come to his house, because he had an only daughter, about 12 years old, and she was dying. While he was going, the crowds were nearly crushing him. Yeah. Uh, the crowds were really crushing him. A woman suffering from bleeding for 12 years, who had spent all she had on doctors and yet could not be healed by any, approached from behind and touched the end of his robe. Instantly, her bleeding stopped. Who touched me? Jesus asked. So now we pick up here. When they all denied it, Peter said, Master, the crowds are hemming and you in and pressing against you from every side, which, he, which, in other words, he's saying, everybody's touching you. What are you talking about? He says, someone did touch me. He said, Jesus, I know that power... Has gone out for me because he could literally feel the Holy Spirit reaching out to someone who had a need. Someone did touch me, said Jesus. I know that power has gone out for me. When the woman saw that she was discovered, she became trembling and fell down before him. Remember, this is old covenant, old testament type stuff. If you have an issue of bleeding, you are not permitted to be amongst other people. Because when you touch them, guess what? They're unclean as well. So they could literally stone this woman to death for breaking the law, for not doing things she's not supposed to be doing. If you're a leper, you have your own place to live outside the town. If you have an issue of blood and you're a woman, you have to stay home until that issue has gone away. Unfortunately for her, she was bleeding for a very long time. And she tried and tried and tried and spent all her money trying to get better. And she could not be made well. That's why... It says here, when the woman saw that she was discovered, she came trembling and fell down before him because she's like, Hey, I know I'm healed, but I wasn't supposed to be here in the first place. And so instead of doing the very religious thing and saying, Why are you here touching me? You're a woman with an issue of blood. You just made me unclean. There's a whole thing we got to do now and probably stone her to death. So that's why she was afraid. Fell before him. In the presence of all the people, she declared the reason she had touched him and how she was instantly healed. She's like, you know what, I'm probably going to die, so I'll just tell you what happened. This is what's going on. Here's my problem. I knew that I had heard, I had seen you out in, in, in the cities and in the streets and everything healing people, so I knew you could heal people. I had heard about you. I believe that you can help me, and I wanted to turn and be healed. So there's all the steps right there. So she said, hey, I'm going to put my life on the line because I've seen him. I've heard about this man named Jesus. I believe that he can heal me. That's why it's where her faith comes into action. And she says, I wanted to be healed. So all the people, she declared the reason she had touched him and how she was instantly healed. Daughter, he said to her, your faith saved you. Go in peace. So instead of the reaction she was expecting to get, which was stoned to death, she's like, hey, if I'm going to go out, I'm going to go out healed. So then, you know what, this, this has been a good life. Goodbye, cruel world, and she was ready to go. But instead, he, he gave her grace. He gave her love. He even called her daughter, which is a very affectionate name of, like, young lady. So he was, he was on her side. So she got the exact opposite of what she thought she was going to get. The religious establishment probably would have stoned her to death for being there when she's not supposed to be. And they would have said, hey, rules are rules. You knew that before you came here. But instead, she was met with the, the prince of peace, the one who loved her beyond love can imagine. And he said, daughter... Go, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. While he was still speaking, someone came from the synagogue leader's house and said, your daughter is dead. Don't bother the teacher anymore. <laughs> Imagine that. You're like, all right, whew, you're Jairus. You got a tough job in the synagogue already. Your kids are sick, and everybody knows that's not a good situation to be in. The doctors are probably telling you there's nothing we can do, so we can just make her comfortable while she, you know, takes her final, final days and then you go to get Jesus. And he's like, sure, I'll go with you. You're not Jesus' best friend because you're the leader of the synagogue. So, again, you think he's, he's going to be like you. You think he's going to be petty and be like, well, you don't like me. Why would I go to your house? And instead he says, hey, let's go. So he goes with all his 12. People rush him. So you're Jairus watching from the sidelines like, boy, it's taking so long. Then he heals this lady. Jesus was never in a hurry. He even took, He was in the boat with a, with a storm and all that stuff, taking a nap. He was in this situation. knowing she was dying. And, okay, if you want to read more into that, look at the story of Lazarus. He took his time there, and guess what? Dude died and was dead for a good while before he showed up on the scene. Jesus was never in a hurry, God of time and space. So when Jesus heard it, it says, your daughter is dead. Don't bother the teacher anymore. Verse 50, when Jesus heard it, he answered him, don't be afraid. Only believe, and she will be saved. Right? So there's the root. So he's met with some circumstances. This is also a picture of the sower and the seeds, right? The word is, I'll go to your house and I'll heal your daughter. Sure, I'll go with you. And so you know what Jesus can do. So there's the seeds that you're, you're, you're believing in right there. And then uh, on the way, it takes a little longer than expected. And it says, your daughter is dead. Don't bother the teacher anymore. Like, what's he going to come for? She's already dead. When Jesus heard it, he answered him, don't be afraid. Only believe and she will be saved. So he didn't answer the people that said she's dead. He answered the father that had the call and the need. I remember going to a a conference on healing one time, and there's this guy who's like a a healing evangelist, and he does these big crusade things, and people get healed and stuff, and someone said, how do you know when you're supposed to pray for somebody? How do you know? Does God give you a word? Do you see a picture? Is there a vision? Is there a word of knowledge? And he said, the need is the call. So in this life, the need is the call. When Jesus heard it, he answered him, don't be afraid. Only believe, and she'll be saved. After he came to the house, he let no one enter with him except Peter, John, James, and the child's father and mother. So this is very cool. There's a lot of people there. Uh, Jairus is a leading official, so he's got lots of fans, got a fan club, he's got lots lots of friends, right, when he's doing good. But because they said she was dead, and he says, she's not dead, she's only asleep. He only let John, James, and Peter, and the child's father and mother come in. Everyone was crying and mourning for her, but he said, stop crying, because she is not dead, but asleep. They laughed at him. They laughed at him because they knew she was dead. So he took her by the hand and called out, Child, get up. Her spirit returned, and she got up at once. Then he gave orders that she be given something to eat. Her parents were astounded, but he instructed them to tell no one what had happened. So imagine this. You're Jesus. You're on the scene. I think now, if you're a person who wants to spread your ministry and get more popular, and more followers, whatever it may be. You want everyone to know what you're doing. You want to post on social media. You want to get on Twitter. You create a TikTok. You're on Instagram. You're going live in five minutes. You want everyone to see what's going on. And that's totally okay. In the beginning, Jesus knew that he was there to start the fire. He was there to lead the way. He was there to show them how. And then the 12, he said, The secrets of the kingdom were given for you, but for everyone else, it's parables. So he knew it's for them. It's for you, generations after me. I had a a conversation with Pastor Jerome one time, and it it really rocked my heart. We talked about, when I was talking about uh, Abraham, and he says, what does it look like to be a part of a mission that goes beyond your lifetime? And it just blew my mind, blew me away. What about my kids, kids, kids? What if the thing you're you're birthing right now, the thing you're planting in the ground, the thing you're watering is the thing that your kids, kids, kids are going to enjoy? So remember, you don't have to do everything, just do your part. You want to be the good soil. And I think, too, uh, as another point there, he only let Peter, James, and John and the kids' parents come in the house because he wanted to keep the group small. If you're in a situation now where you need help or you're going through a tough time, whatever it may be, make sure you are creating those connections, joining a group, joining the dream team. Have somebody there that's going to back you up. I'm, I'm usually a pretty private person, and that's because I'm mostly an introvert by nature, if you couldn't tell already. This is not something I would just do all the time. But um, I only share my life and my struggles with certain people because I don't need people to pity me. I need people to pray for me. I don't need people to feel sorry for me. I need people to feel empowered for me and emblazoned with passion to to pray for my situation. So find people in your life that will do that. Make Jesus your root, but also they're your support system. So that was Luke chapter 8. Um, We'll go ahead and pray because uh, God is amazing. Father, thank you so much for, for your word. Lord, every word spoken, make it be to effect for what you wanted, Lord. I'm here for you. We're here for you, Lord. Make our hearts that good soil. Give us grace to be better than we were yesterday. And, Father, by your goodness, by your grace, and by the power of the Holy Spirit, make us who you want us to be. Help us be there for somebody in need. Lord, remember we remember the need is the call. We thank you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. That was Luke chapter 8. Thanks. Give the Lord a round of applause. Remember, we'll be doing this every Sunday, 10 and 1130. Join us online or in person. All races, all faces from all places. You belong here. We'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to the City Life Lansing podcast. Loving you and loving the city one life at a time. To get connected, learn more, and invest financially, go to citylifelancing.com. You belong here.